Costs to originate keep rising, even with more technology in the industry. The problem is the core platform. A new LOS can re-architect the process around data, not humans moving paper files. Vesta has built this LOS, and you can learn more at Vesta.com. HousingWire Daily examines the most compelling mortgage, real estate, and fintech articles reported from the HousingWire newsroom. Each afternoon, the HW Digital team provides our listeners with a deeper look into the stories that are helping move markets forward. Hosted and produced by Alcina Lloyd and Victoria Wickham. And now, here's our host. Pulled from the hottest topics coming across our news desk. I'm Victoria Wickham, and this is Housing Wire Daily. Today's episode features an exclusive interview with Forbes reporters David Jeans and Noah Kirsch. In this episode, the pair join Housing Wire mortgage editor James Kleiman to discuss their recent bombshell article that dives into Better.com CEO Vishal Garge's controversial workplace culture and how he leads the $4 billion fintech startup. But before we listen, here's a brief word on Housing Wire's newest podcast. They say money talks, so why can't we? Housing Wire is thrilled to introduce its newest podcast, Girl Funds, a show where we give you our two cents on money. We love to talk with our girlfriends about everything except our finances. We're here to bring money back into the conversation, hosted by me, Brenda Nath, along with our editor-in-chief, Sarah Wheeler. Be sure to join us every week starting this Wednesday for our girls' night focused on everything from how to pursue your dream of owning a home to affording your best friend's wedding. Each week, we'll have a special guest join us as we intertwine finance and friendship. Hey guys, I am James Kleiman. I'm the mortgage editor here at HousingWire. And today we're going to be talking about a bombshell story that dropped about two weeks ago, a little bit before Thanksgiving, and it's from Forbes. And I'm here with the reporters of the story about Better.com and its uh, its founder and CEO, Vishal Karg, and, and really the, the trajectory of the company, the origins of it, some of the, I guess you could call maybe baggage about the company and, um, and and really what happens going forward. So I'm, I'm really pleased to be here with the two reporters from Forbes. Uh, this is Noah Kirsch, hi Noah, and David Jeans. Hi David. James. Thank you guys so much for being with me. And, and for people who don't know, better.com is fully digital lender. And as recent as last year, they were not profitable. They were not making money. They had hired quite a few people and their tech was coming together, but they were not over the mountain. And thanks to incredibly low rates and a pandemic, it's uh, it's really reversed their fortunes. And now they claim to be very profitable. Uh, the information reported that they're on track to make 800 million in revenue this year. And so a few weeks ago, Noah, you and David published the story about Better. Can you kind of walk me through what Better is and, and why it's so big and in both the mortgage industry, which is generally pretty non-tech, I think that's a fair statement, and then of course also Silicon Valley. So who is better, what do they do? 
Sure. So the appeal of Better Mortgage or Better.com is that, as they say it, they make the mortgage approval process really seamless and quick, where traditionally you'd be talking to people on the phone and dealing with letters and paperwork that can take weeks or longer. They offer you pre-approval in just a couple of minutes. And so while it takes a little bit longer than that, maybe a few weeks to get actually approved, um, their pitch is that they don't charge a lot of the true nation fees and they make the process uh, far faster. And so can, can we talk about the scale of better? You know, I, I mentioned now that they're on track, according to the information, for about 800 million this year in revenue. They were not that way last year, but they just raised a ton of money, right? What, what's kind of their standing right now? Sure. So they just raised a few hundred million dollars at, at a $4 billion valuation. And they're benefiting like a lot of players in the residential real estate market from a massive refinancing boom that's been caused by low interest rates and by COVID. And so according to the company and according to some people we talked to, they're probably quite profitable right now. Um, they're also on an extreme hiring blitz. They've hired like 2000 new people since the start of the pandemic. Uh, so whether on an, on an actual net income basis they're profitable, we're not entirely sure. But we do know that their top line is growing really fast. And, and I think that's true of most mortgage companies right now. If you're a mortgage originator and you're not making money, you're probably terrible and going out of business pretty soon. Uh, but but still, you know, better. You know, I hear from a lot of uh, loan originators in the industry, and they talk a lot about better representing a very serious threat to the fundamental business model. Um, that they have, which is still very paperwork heavy and, you know, turnaround times for loans that are generally beyond 30 days, sometimes two months, sometimes longer. And better is is known as pretty quick and, and pretty, pretty seamless for the consumer. Um, and, and so, David, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about kind of Vishal Garg, the CEO. I've heard him speak. Um, he's very charismatic. He's kind of charming, actually. Um, but he's He's not, he's not like a, a sensitive kitten, right? Can you, can you talk a little bit about kind of um, who Vishal Garg is and, and uh, how he got his start and how he got to better? Oh, yeah. No, Vishal is, a, is very well-spoken, very uh, charismatic, very eloquent salesman. And, um, you know, it, it obviously shows by, you know, his previous success in, in raising a lot of funding, uh, A for better. But, you know, he has had previous successes um, before, Um you know, after graduating from NYU, uh, you know, at the end of the 90s, he and uh, his college friend, um, Razi Khan, they both started a company that uh, gained prominence called My Rich Uncle, which uh, used algorithms to, um, you know, service and, and identify student loans. Um, and, you know, they had they had gone on a huge, huge blitz. They went, they went um, public in, I think it was 2004, and, you know, by by 2006, they they they'd serviced uh, you know more than 300 million dollars in loans and had become one of the largest providers in the country. Um, the only you know I feel like if the if the financial crisis had hadn't have occurred, you know that company only appeared to have been on the up and up. And um, unfortunately, when the financial crisis did occur, they were unable to keep um, you know finding more debt to to keep financing loans. So. They effectively filed for bankruptcy, um, but you know, once they saw opportunity in using algorithms to, um, you know, assess big loan portfolios, they then went into other ventures, and one of them was another company called EIFC, where 
um, you know, they, they, they realized that they had technology that could go through massive loan portfolios and, um, you know, provide insights and information on them. Um, you know, this was especially useful in the residential space, uh, residential mortgage space, because they could identify toxic loans that had been issued by banks and then, you know, uh, you know provide ways that these uh, loans could be uh, foreclosed on and, and you know, some of the lenders could recoup their losses. So these were these were a number of other previous businesses before uh, Vishal started um, uh, better in 20, uh, 2014. Um, and I feel like by then he had had, you know, more than a decade of experience running companies that had been assessing loans and in the mortgage business. So by the time he arrived, you know, with better, uh, he, he really had sort of fine-tuned his model. And but he's he's also he, he has some lawsuits that have cropped up. Noah, can you kind of walk us through a little bit about some of these lawsuits and the veracity and the claims? Yeah, they're they're from pretty big players. Goldman Sachs is one of them. Pimco, a massive money manager. Sure, I, I think for us, what what uh, signaled to us that we had a story was not just that Vishal had been sued by some former business partners, but that he'd really been sued in every direction from everyone he collaborated with on a number of different ventures. So uh, as David mentioned, he has this, this old business partner whose name is Raza Khan, who sued uh, Vishal for uh, allegedly misappropriating funds from a business that they started. Uh, Vishal has countersued and really claims the opposite. But then the more serious allegations are from this, this complex mortgage portfolio that, that David was discussing as well. And there you have really big players like PIMCO and Goldman Sachs and other investors saying that they were cut out of potentially tens of millions of dollars. Um, and that there was this whole web of companies and shell companies um, that were, as they describe it, designed to confuse and obscure what was actually happening, which was that money was going to entities controlled by Vishal Garg that should have gone uh, elsewhere. Interesting. And so what what happened to the money? Is, is this is this um, disputed? Is there any clear sense of you know, what happened to these tens of millions? I think our answer to that, well, my answer to that, first and foremost, would be we'd really encourage people to read the story Absolutely. because it's incredibly complicated and we worked really hard to try to distill it into plain English in the writing, but it, it absolutely is disputed. Uh, the, the basic idea is that uh, a company controlled by Vishal that had a lot of different investors was supposed to receive tens or hundreds of millions of dollars from banks over toxic loans that were made around the financial crisis. And when those, when that money came from banks, it was supposed to go to a trustee who would then distribute it to all these different members of the investment group. But one of the allegations is that that money never made it to the trustee. In fact, it somehow made its way into an entity controlled by Vishal Garg. And it's really unclear what, what, what happened to it. But, but these investors allege that they were cut out. And, and so do bondholders who were supposed to get some of that money too. Interesting. To, to, to clarify, just to clarify, some of the money didn't go where it was allegedly supposed to, um, while other sums did. Um, yeah, and obviously the argument that's been put forward by some of the attorneys tied to that represent the companies that Garg controls, um, they have 
stated the opposite, that in fact, they are actually owed tens of millions of dollars. Why don't we fast forward a little bit and, and talk about Better itself, better.com and, and the workplace culture. You know, a lot of your reporting, and it's really, really good, interesting reporting, uh, centers on on the culture at Better. And this is a company like many in the mortgage industry, many in the tech industry, that has grown really quickly um, and, and quite big too. I, I think they have a few thousand people at this point uh, working working for them. And and it reminded me a little bit of the Steph Quarry story at Away, the, the kind of luggage startup company where I think there were a lot of questions as to what is what is an appropriate way to talk to your um, your employees and and how how far can you push people in today's modern economy? Um, so, can you guys talk a little bit about the the people that you spoke with, who are current and former employees of Better.com and what they had to say about working there? The, the message we, we received from the employees that we spoke with, um, you know, it was roundly, it was, it was diverse. I mean, a, a lot of, a lot of people did say that, you know, working under Vishal Garg is, can be quite a stressful environment. And, you know, a, a lot of them were just some, sometimes didn't know how to handle or, or deal with, you know, his messaging. Um, obviously we described some of that sort of more outlandish messaging, which, you know, included calling, uh, employees dumb dolphins um, you know where he was like pushing sales teams or customer experience teams to you know break their partners like this kind of language it's it's very sort of um, emotive and you know obviously affected some some employees we did we did speak to some employees who left the company or were fired um, you know and they, and they you know they said that working there was you know in some cases almost traumatic but um just, just as a result of you know feeling belittled by some of this messaging, um, and on the flip side, we we did speak to some employees who you know said that you know whatever Garg's management style, you know he was able to build a company that has grown to a size of, I think it's more than three thousand employees that is producing the metrics that it is. So, you know, th- there was some people wondering whether there's like a, a this is just the cost of doing business. Mm. Anything to add to that? Yeah, I, I think it's important for readers or listeners to understand that our story really is two-pronged. One is that, I mean, the, the top layer is that you have a really successful CEO leading a really successful company who's gotten a ton of positive press. Um, and then our story is really about what's happening beneath the surface. And part of it is about the tangle of lawsuits from many different high-profile parties that have followed uh, Vishal for a long time. And the other element, as David is talking about, is like, what is it actually like to work for this guy? And in some cases, they say that it's worth it. And in some cases, they say that it was like a, a pretty horrifying place to work. Um, so, yeah, I think that's the, the summary. Mm. Gotcha. And, and now, you know, we, we know that they're likely to go public sometime in 2021. I think you said earlier it's a four billion dollar valuation. You know they have a lot of pretty big backers too. Um, have you heard anything from the investment community or people who work there since the article was published about, you know, if if this might affect you know how they go public or if they go public? I think the the clear message from the investment community or the investors in better is that you know we're here to stay and you know whatever happened previously, 
um, it, it it clearly hasn't affected Better's ability to you know stay on track for an IPO. I mean, I guess when a company is on track for an IPO, you know, investors get excited, and you know, sometimes they are willing to accept or overlook um, you know uh, potential baggage. And I think that this was best illustrated by the fact that Goldman Sachs, it's you know, which is one of Better's uh, largest backers. Um, you know, they were suing, they, they were involved in this, this litigation and suing um, entities controlled by GARG and alleging that, you know, that, that tens of millions of dollars had been missing. Um, you know, one statement from one of their lawsuits was that an entity controlled by GARG uh, had been engaged in flagrant self-dealing. So with that backdrop, at, at the same time, Goldman Sachs is giving money to better Um you know, where, where it is, where, where it's led by the Shah. So um, while Goldman did not invest in the most recent funding round, it did drop its its its, its uh, lawsuit and its claims against the companies controlled by GARG um, in, that, in that previous litigation. All right. Uh, do you guys have anything to add? Any questions that you, you did want to address that I did not throw out there? Yeah, I would just add to what David just said, which is that, I mean, it seems pretty clear that like the money is what's exciting people and they're not paying much attention to anything else. As just like one other example, in a deposition last year, as sort of an illustration of the way he sometimes talks, Vishal threatened to burn his former business partner alive. Um, he apologized for that, but it was a, a pretty serious threat that resulted in some action from the courts. And this fall, uh, a member of Better's board of directors received a letter alerting him to the fact that that happened and a lot of litigation that was going on. But the person who responded to that letter, instead of, as far as we know, that that board member himself was one of Vishal's lawyers uh, at, at his venture capital firm. So you sort of get this sense that uh, everyone has their eye on an IPO and the, the potential upside of that. And that's really what's driving things. People are sometimes willing to overlook um, certain things at a company, you know, with the prospect of a payday coming in the future. So I encourage everybody to check out the story. It's on Forbes. We're going to leave a link to the piece. Uh, again, I'm with David Jeans and Noah Kirsch, reporters at Forbes. Uh, they did a really excellent piece, and I encourage everybody to check it out. David, thank you so much. Noah, thank you so much. And uh, that's it for us here at Housing Wire. Take care, everybody. Now more than ever, the housing industry is looking to its leaders for answers. That's why each week, the Housing News Podcast invites a new mortgage, fintech, or real estate executive to the show to provide its listeners with more perspective on the announcements and news stories crossing Housing Wire's news desk. Hosted by Sarah Wheeler and produced by Alcina Lloyd, the Housing News Podcast is now available on iTunes, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts, and more. Thanks for listening to Housing Wire Daily. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button so you never miss an episode and we'll catch everyone back here again tomorrow.